You are listening to the podcast for Nerdy Christians, a show for progressive followers of Jesus who also happen to love Hogwarts, Hobbits, and making the Kessel Run in less than 12 parsecs. This is Season 1, Episode 1, Pilot. I'm Carrie Combs, and I'm so happy to be sitting across the internet from Adam Thomas. Hey, Adam. Hey, Carrie. I'm so excited to be sitting across the internet from you as well. This is the beginning of the podcast for Nerdy Christians, and hopefully not the end. Actually, I know it's not the end because we've already recorded two other episodes. And we're can't going give back. that away. Yeah, I can't give that away. Going back to Secret. re-record stuff from our first episode because we had no clue what we were going to say until we got our uh, sea legs, as it were. Like all things, you learn, you learn your way into it. That's right. Uh, we are super excited to be uh, bringing this podcast to our listener. I assume we'll have at least one, probably, you know, my mom. I would love for, I know our D&D group might enjoy listening, perhaps. There we go. That's who's going to listen. Our listener is going to be our Dungeons and Dragons group. Just the four of them. This is our first episode, our pilot episode. In a few minutes, we're going to be talking about pilots. Uh, But before we do that, Carrie, why did we start this podcast? I think you and I both enjoy consuming and being a part of nerd culture, and we also really love being ordained leaders in God's church. And the two don't seem like they go hand in hand all the time. But I've enjoyed since uh, taking theology classes and learning more and more about the Bible, how much my nerd side influences my reading of scripture and the Christian life, but then also how much my Christianity informs my reading of nerd things. So I'll find myself frequently making comparisons and allusions to one or the other. And I think there's a definite need for a conversation to happen between the two. What about you? Yeah, for me, it, that that all makes so much sense. And I do so much of thinking about nerdy things and so much thinking about Christian things and how I'm going to communicate the gospel, how I'm going to talk to other people about following Jesus. Uh, and there are so many nerdy references. I wish I could say in a sermon that I just can't do because I would have to explain the reference so much to people who have no idea what I'm talking about. So I really needed a place where I could put those nerdy references so they wouldn't squeak out during a sermon. Because you only have so many minutes in trying to explain the entire plot of the Star Wars extended universe is a little... Yeah, it's actually funny that Star Wars... Uh, is one of the things I can get away with, but really only the original trilogy. Uh, I think those are so much in the popular culture, especially for older people, that they at least know the characters I'm talking about. Uh, but no, I could never talk about the Clone Wars or <laughs> or any of the novels that I've read that are Star Wars or anything like that. And I think you have the same thing with Harry Potter. I do, and I'm going to have to limit myself to only referring to it maybe a couple times a year, once a month, max. Otherwise, it's, I mean, it's great to have metaphors. It's great to have sources we draw from, but they can, like anything else, become tired if we use them too much. Right. And uh, that's a that's more than I would do for Star Wars. I've actually limited myself to about three a year uh, Star Wars references and sermons. Um, and a lot of times they're Obi-Wan Kenobi. One of the things I like about our denomination, our tradition, is that we do think God can speak to us through any source, that God is still working in our world and speaking. And I 
don't think that that wisdom and that knowledge is confined just to the pages of our Bible. And I love the idea of seeing where we can find God in the things that we love to watch and read and the video games we like to play. Yeah, the idea, the original idea for the podcast came from seeing Avengers Endgame. And I was so struck by the authentic portrayals of grief in the first hour of that movie that I went and I wrote a, an essay that was well over 2,000 words about grief in Avengers Endgame. And I thought to myself, wow, this is so amazing to use this nerdy reference to really dig deeply into something that affects everybody and that we talk a lot about in church. Uh, and that's sort of what, what got me thinking about this idea. And then I was so happy that Carrie was up for signing on as a, the uh, other host. Um, and so in this first season, we're going to talk about big archetypes in sci-fi and fantasy, uh, really uh, picking some overarching ideas that make those genres what they are. And then uh, as we get further into other episodes, way down the road, we will get more granular and we'll talk specifically about individual pieces of content. But this first season, we're going to be picking and choosing from all different uh, places around nerd culture. Every episode will include a relevant quotation from scripture or the wider Christian tradition and a quotation from nerd canon so you can enjoy the conversation that happens between the two of them. And before we say those for this first episode, the second half of every episode is, is going to be an ongoing book group. And we're going to start with our next episode with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. And we'll get more into that later on. So, Carrie, what's our scripture quote today? Today's scripture is a reading from the Gospel according to John. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on some clothes, for he was naked, and jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, only about a hundred yards off. And our quote from Nerd Cannon comes from the best science fiction show of all time, Firefly. Although this is from the movie Serenity. Arguably. Where Hoban Washburn says, I am a leaf on the wind. Watch how I soar. Our first main topic uh, for episode number one, our pilot episode, uh, is about pilots. And um, I asked Carrie if that was a little too cute. Uh, and she said... Um, it's a little very, cute. Very cute, but not necessarily a problem. Um, I'm really curious about what we can learn from our favorite fictional pilots. Uh, and these are pilots um, of, of ships and also like starfighters in science fiction properties. Uh, and I'm curious... Who are your favorite pilots in nerdy fiction? I think it's kind of cliched, but I really do love, I'm a fan of Han when it comes down to it. He reminds me a little bit of my dad um, in a way that's very comforting to watch. Um, Is your dad a scoundrel? <laughs> he can be. I think it's just, um, so most formative, I should say, you know, growing up was Han Solo. So when I think of a science fiction pilot, he is the guy I go to. Um, but when I was sort of trying to dream up and think of other pilots to include, um, I also really love Leela from Futurama. She was one of my favorite characters in cartoons growing up. What about you? 
So I, I came up with a whole list. Obviously, Han Solo was the first one that came to mind. Uh, and then I had a whole bunch of other Star Wars pilots, Wedge Antilles, Poe Dameron from the new uh, the, the sequel trilogy, um, and then Harrison Dula uh, from Star Wars Rebels, uh, who's probably my favorite of this, all of the Star Wars pilots, and we'll talk more about Hera in a little bit. Um, then I went to Battlestar Galactica for Cara Thrace, Starbuck in the more recent adaptation. Um, played by Katie Sackhoff, who's like one of my all-time favorite actresses. Um, then on Battlestar, there's Leah Dama as well, and a few other pilots who come and go, but they're the two main ones. Uh, and then, of course, we cannot uh, talk about pilots without talking about um, the pilot who is memorialized on the back bumper of my car. Uh, that is Hoban Washburn at Firefly Wash. Uh, the back, my back bumper has I'm a Leaf on the Wind on it and has for 10 12 years the on my second date with my now wife she saw it and she was like oh that's so cool and i said yes brown coats unite you had mentioned somebody else also from a show called the expanse which i've not seen you want to tell us about that person uh alex is one of the is the pilot of this little crew that kind of breaks off uh, and the whole the whole plot centers around well, there's lots of threads that weave together, but basically it's a, it's a crew who become fugitives after their ship is destroyed that kind of kickstarts the plot for the show. And it's based on a book series, um, which I haven't read. And also, I think we, I wanted to include him because he's also a little bit against the archetype of the brash, very overly confident pilot. He's very skilled, but he's also extremely caring. Um, he kind of has this backstory of being far from home. He's a Martian in this... Uh, sort of colonial world that the expanse has created. Uh, so he's away from his family, from his wife and children, or from his, his son, I believe. And he also tries to smooth over things with the crew a lot in a way that I thought was really interesting. Um, hmm. I think Wash falls into that a little bit too. He, he tends to be the one who wants everybody to get along on Serenity. He, he's the one that's like, not, not with the killing, you know. Let's, yes. let's take a deep breath. Let's find another way to do this. Um, let's, let's circle back to the, yeah. uh, that archetypal pilot, uh, that brash, uh, kind of daredevil, the, the, the one that just wants to go shoot things. Mm -hmm. right? Um, Han has elements of that, but I don't think he really fits that perfectly because, you know, in star Wars, he wants to, he wants to get out of there. He wants his money to go. Um, he is a pilot, but he, he also embodies that smuggler, that scoundrel character. Uh, as well. So he has those two halves of his personality. Obviously, he comes back. Um, but I, I think that it's it's really like the fighter pilots that fall <laughs> into that uh, that category, the people that are in a single, uh, they're, they're solo pilots in a ship. Um, and that's Starbuck, that's Poe. Um, and also, uh, we uh, I couldn't remember his name, but but in our show notes, you 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 remembered it. And that's um, Will Smith's character from Independence Day. Right. Uh, what's his name? Stephen Hiller. Stephen Hiller, who has, uh, you know, a family that he cares so much about. But when he's in the cockpit, he is, he's, he's cocky. He is ready to go. It's been a while since I saw that movie. It's, it's worth a rewatch. I also wonder, there's something about the in it for glory, trying to accomplish a mission for focused solely on the mission and not on any externals kind of that fear of even dying goes away but then there's also 
like you said, Han Solo, who is in it for self-preservation. He wants his money. He wants to survive. He wants to get out alive. And those two can come into tension sometimes. Yeah. Some, some pilots in these fantasy properties seem to have kind of death wishes mm-hmm. in a way. I think Starbuck is, is a very strong example of that. Have you seen Battlestar, by the way? No, I've only seen a couple episodes. Okay. So I'll be the one that talks about Battlestar okay. on this podcast. Um, I should watch it, but I just haven't. It's, it's great, but it takes some it takes some stamina because it's a heavy, heavy show. There's not a lot of humor in Battlestar Galactica. Um anyway, so so Starbuck is she is she is the the quintessential bucking authority. I'm gonna do it my way and I'm gonna go out there and I'm gonna shoot things with my guns. Mm-hmm. Uh, on my Viper, that's what they call uh, ships. Uh, the the fighter fighter jets on uh, Battlestar are called Vipers. Um, but she's also the best pilot ever, basically. Um, and so she's able to do things that other pilots can't do. Um, much the same way, you know, I think Poe Dameron has a similar uh, uh, feel about him as uh, Starbuck does, especially at the beginning of The Last Jedi when he takes on uh, that Imperial cruiser or the First Order cruiser. Uh, all by himself and takes out all of the guns to clear the way for the um, the resistance bombers. Um, but he does it uh, over the express orders of, of General uh, Organa, right? Right. Um, and his whole arc in The Last Jedi is trying to understand the difference between being that solo pilot in a fighter jet and being or in a starfighter, excuse me, mm-hmm. and being somebody who has to lead other people and understanding what the, the give and takes are in that. Right. They're used to having to operate with themselves and their environment as the only variables, I think. It's just them and the obstacle in front of them, and they can overtake it in the way that they see fit. But it's when you add all the other additional people, the other lives, the other people with opinions and mindsets, that's when it gets complicated. And it's interesting in the way that those things are shot in the TV shows and the movies that we're talking mm-hmm. about, there's always a lot of cockpit shots. Very narrow focus on the pilot. It's just the pilot's face. I mean, obviously, the original Star Wars movie is what made that a thing, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where we just have Luke in his X-Wing. You know, and they're also, some people will call them by their call signs. Others will call them by their names. And it, I, I remember actually when I was first seeing those movies as a child, being very disturbed. It was very upsetting when, when you'd have that close cockpit view and then suddenly they would explode or get hit or something, um, just being so close to that action, but also not really knowing what character it was, yet still being attached to the fact that they had just died. Yeah, I was curious about my kids seeing that scene. And I don't think, I mean, at five years old, I'm not really sure what they were getting out of that. Right. Um, but but yeah, you do have some even even though you just met this character, uh, then they blow up and you're like, oh, my somebody cared for that person. Uh, but then when when Biggs dies, it's like this weight settles on him. Red Leader dies, this weight settles on him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, the per- there is now purpose. I am the one that has to do this. Right. Um, and for Luke, it is I am doing this in order to save Yavin 4. I would never think of Luke as the brash pilot. Mm-hmm. He's more aware of the, the team aspect of it, that these people are in, in on a team together, relying on each other. Yeah, and e- even though they've got the three in the trench going together, whereas Poe in, in, in episode eight is just doing his thing. We have this archetype of the uh, that brash, cocky pilot that Poe and that Starbuck uh, really, and, and Stephen Hiller, 
um, really embody. Uh, and they all are people who are in the single starfighter, the single fighter jet, um, doing their thing. And then we have this whole other category of pilots that we want to get to. You talk about Wash because I don't think you've seen Rebels. No, I haven't. All right, so I'll talk about her. You talk about Wash because we both have a deep abiding love for him. Because he's great. Uh, I think he shows a lot more um, moderation and compassion than your average pilot. I think it's also interesting that they he's married and you don't see a lot of on-ship marriages in science fiction properties necessarily, but because of the world of Firefly and the they're living their whole lives. He's, he's not left his family behind. He's got his family right there with him. And I, I do think that he is more of a peacemaker, more of a moderate. And he obviously has the skills, but Wash is also quietly confident and is interested in keeping everyone alive. And he's got little dinosaur figurines, which is great. You gotta, lo- yes, yes the, you gotta love the dinosaur figures. I like that what you just said about him. He's very interested in keeping everybody alive. It's almost like that's his his main focus as the pilot because he's going to run if he has to, right? Yeah. He is not a stand and fight kind of guy. Yeah. Uh, like there's the scene in the in in where they they pull the crazy Ivan against the uh uh against against the Reavers. Yeah. To get away from the Reavers and um but he's like when 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 uh Mal calls for it Wash is like are you are you crazy? Are wait, I I Okay, well, I guess we're doing this. Other pilots might be like, "Yes, this is the this is I've been waiting for this." Okay, here we go. But Wash is he's not that person. He's so um he, he it's weird because he doesn't exude confidence, but then he's so good at what he does. Well, when he, yeah, when he gets in the zone, as it were, when he really is doing his job, it seems like everything else kind of drops away um while keeping his personality intact but that he becomes a lot more centered. I, I remember, I haven't seen Firefly in maybe 10 years. So it's All right, so we, some more rewatching for Carrie. Also do for a rewatch is my homework. But I remember that he would kind of get frazzled in a lot of other circumstances and he was a little bit more, kind of annoyed me in some ways, but when he was in his pilot mode, that's when I think he really shined. And I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting because he is married and he's married to Zoe and Zoe is she exudes confidence. I mean, that's her whole character. She is ready to go. Um, and it's interesting. If she were a pilot, I think she would fall under that the the, the brash cocky pilot. But that's not her skill on the ship uh, yeah. as second in command. Uh, but they really balance each other well, and it's such an interesting relationship. And every once in a while in Firefly, you get a quiet moment between them, and they're always these cute or funny or authentic moments which really humanizes the characters um so obviously when he dies in serenity uh the movie i guess i have already i couldn't say spoiler alert now because i already said it but uh that movie came out in like 2000 and it's it's past the point or something um but his death is so shocking uh in in serenity because he's just done the thing that the pilot is supposed to do which is land the ship that shouldn't have been able to be landed Mm-hmm. right um and then zoe goes all kind of murder bot when she sees him dead uh but his job was to make sure everybody else was safe right and their partnership seat kind of fulfills a function of he helps kind of soften and temper her and then she also supports him which i think 
when that partnership is dissolved through death, it becomes, she kind of goes a little in a different direction. But then in, in the last, I love the last scene of Serenity where they're doing the memorial for the three people that died in during the, the film. And she's in a beautiful dress, like a, like a beautiful kind of white dress with her hair yeah. down. And she, she's bringing the, the, the rocket to, to the graves. And you see kind of the, almost the softening influence of Wash on her, just in her attire. Mm, Cause she's usually different. wearing like the, like the leather and the straps yeah. and the thing. And, you know, um, and, and so Wash really, because he is the pilot of a crew, he really has a different focus than the ones on that are like the solo star fighters. And it's interesting because when they show the cockpit of the mm-hmm. Serenity, oftentimes there are wider shots. There's multiple people in the shot. It's not just the pilot. We obviously know that the ship contains so many more people. Um, and there's also a co-pilot share, sort of like in the Millennium Falcon, right? Mm-hmm. You have, without Chewbacca, we should probably talk about Chewie at some point. Without yeah. Chewbacca, it, it, you you really can't fly the Falcon perfectly. And we actually see that in um, in episode seven when Ray is trying to like reach across That's right. the other side of the cockpit. It's almost physically impossible to do it. You need, you need that second person. Uh, and so, and that's where I want to jump over and talk about Hera for a minute. Um, Go for she it. is, you got to see Rebels, by the way. It's amazing. <laughs> I love Rebels so much. Hera Syndulla, she is a Twi'lek, Twi'lek, you can say it either way. That's the aliens uh, in Star Wars with the headtails. The only time we see a, a Twi'lek in the original trilogy is in Jabba's Palace. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's wonderful to see another uh, uh, side of that species within Star Wars. Um, there's a few in Clone Wars as well. Um, no, some in, was it Ayla? She in, um, she's in from the prequels, right? Yeah, one, one or two of the Jedi are, are Twi'leks in, in, in the prequel trilogy. Uh, Hera is the daughter of one of the main characters, uh, not the main characters, one of the characters in the Clone Wars. Anyway, she is a phenomenal pilot. And in the fiction of Star Wars, she's really seen as the best pilot ever in the Star Wars universe, which is pretty cool. Uh, she becomes a general of the of the Rebel Alliance. Um, her ship is actually you can see it in Rogue One during the Battle of Scarif. Uh, but in in yeah, I I'm a super nerd when it comes to the Star Just Wars like stuff. Nice little Easter eggs. When we get to Harry Potter, Carrie's going to be doing what I'm doing right now about Star Wars. So it is my my life's canon. Uh, but Hera is is just an incredible pilot, and because she's the pilot of a ship that has a crew, very much like Wash and, and the Serenity, uh, her focus is not necessarily on uh, doing the mission at all costs. Mm-hmm. Her focus is very much on, let's make sure we live to fight another day. I'm going to do the best I can under the circumstances, but my main job right now is to make sure everybody is safe. Uh, is to make sure that we, if, if this all goes to pot, then we can we can live to fight another day. And there's some times during Rebels where she does some really fancy flying to to uh, to escape uh, on the Ghost. And I think that she has this very uh, maternal nature. Uh, the other characters on the Ghost, uh, there's uh, are younger. Um, there's Ezra and Sabine, which are, who are teenagers, and they're part of the crew. It's actually very, the first season specifically is very Firefly-like, which is why I loved it so much. Um, uh, but uh, we have this amazing pilot, again, whose focus is not on the personal glory or the let's blow something up. 
And, um, and I think that as we were uh, brainstorming this uh, episode, uh, seeing the dichotomy between the uh, single fighter pilot and the pilot of a crew really helped give us a, a, a way to view this from a Christian perspective. I couldn't help but think about, you know, leaders that in the church when you were talking about Hera's MO versus maybe the more lone wolf, you might say, of, of the fighter pilot, that there's, there's sort of an archetype of, um, of leaders too that are either you're in it alone, you're leading, you're doing your thing, but it gets a lot more complicated when there's other people involved. I was actually plumbing through uh, the rule of St. Benedict and Life Together to see if, I mean, those two seminal texts on... Life Together by Bonhoeffer. Yeah, yeah, of living in community with each other. Um, I couldn't find any quotables, but I was thinking about, it gets a lot more complicated when there's other people involved. We, we don't just do anything alone. And when you do, it's it seems like uh, the pilots have the ones who are, you know, shot in the cockpit, very claustrophobically, very alone. There's not as much challenge in that. It seems like they're they're doing the amazing things. They're um, really showcasing their skills. But there's when there's other objectives added on to it, it gets a lot more difficult. I'd say. Yeah, it's interesting that when we actually look at the larger stories of the the single uh, fighter pilot pilots, the brash ones it seems that a lot of their character arcs are actually about bringing them from that, uh, um, that personality and moving them more towards a community oriented mm. uh, approach. So let, maybe we can talk a bit about what Poe's arc is because he starts off in that archetype of the brash overconfident pilot, but shifts in the course of the sequels at this point. It's about understanding uh, who has the authority, uh, about going along with orders. And then at the end of the movie, uh, it's, it's about him taking over the leadership and saying, all right, well, we're going to preserve what we have here as opposed to just go guns blazing uh, in, you know, out in that blaze of glory. Uh, and so he really does move over the course of episode eight uh, from the cockpit to that cave. And they end up on the Millennium Falcon, right? Now he's surrounded by other people. And literally has to have a co-pilot. Right. If he were going to fly the, the Falcon, which yeah. my guess is he probably won't. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, he, that's a place that you need to have the co-pilot. Uh, and I think it's been a while since I watched um, Battlestar, but uh, it seems like a lot of the times when the pilots on Battlestar have interpersonal conflict with each other, it has to do with, you know, stick to your wingman. No, I don't want to do that because I'm better than my wingman, you know? Uh, and it's, 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 it's really about moving from that, uh, just that individuality into community. Uh, and I think from the life of a follower of Jesus, uh, it is possible to be a spiritual person and to be a person of faith in a vacuum alone. It is possible. Right. You've got your anchorites and hermits. And those anchorites and hermits some of them at one point realized, well, maybe it would be better if we just formed a little group. Yeah. And now all of a sudden monasticism is born. Well, I wonder also in our modern day, we have fewer people dwelling in caves all alone 
uh, trying to plumb the depths of spirituality, but I do think we can get focused on my personal spiritual quest, my personal relationship with Jesus. That's our heritage as Americans with this individualistic mentality uh, versus a community mindset where we're all learning together from each other. It's not just me and my knowledge and my relationship. It's our community. We're moving together. It's one of the issues that I've always had with the language surrounding uh, my personal relationship with, you know, Jesus Christ being my personal savior uh, and and so forth. I'll tell the story of conversion at some point on this podcast, but that language is is challenging to me because so much of my own understanding of a walk with Jesus is done within community. And of course, Jesus, you know, the first thing he does after being in the desert is gather a group of people around him. And he'll retreat alone and, and go into places, lonely places to be alone. But that is in order to then re-engage with the community. That's where the heart of his ministry is found. Now, do you think um, of Jesus's disciples, who would be the brash, cocky pilot? Oh, Peter. Is it Peter? It's got to be Peter. Yeah, it's right? got to be Peter. Right. Oof, I'm so glad I passed my first Bible question. <laughs> That's not like the right answer, but there's definitely a more right answer. And as a cradle Episcopalian, I, sorry, a, someone born into being an Episcopalian, my Bible formation's not as great as someone like my husband, who was raised in a very different tradition and a lot more conversant. There you go. So, but, but again, and Peter follows that same progression through the Gospels, right, where he, by the end of the Gospel of John, Jesus reintegrates Peter into, uh, into his family with mm-hmm. the threefold I love you. And yeah. then what we get in Acts of the Apostles is all of the disciples together in the house with the, with the Holy Spirit at Pentecost. And then Peter later on realizing what that, that the... Uh, that the gifts that they've been given in the Holy Spirit are are for the whole, for everybody, anybody, doesn't matter what, right? That's what the whole story around Cornelius the centurion is about. And, and Peter even says, man, man, now I realize that uh, that God shows no partiality, that anybody, this is for anybody, and I'm gonna I'm gonna welcome everybody. So he does kind of move, I think, from that uh, that sort of loner, uh, yeah, I'm 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 anything I do, I can do it, you know, I'm. This is, right. this is who I am to that more community oriented person. Well, it is him, Paul, trying to learn how to co-lead in a mm-hmm. way that they have different skills and different people they're called to work with. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a, another way in which they both have skills for evangelism, for conversation, for being followers, but they can't, they have different calls and they have to coordinate. And that obviously comes to blows a couple of times. Right. Yes. Uh, so anything else we want to say about pilots and what they can teach us? Um, I'll look down at our yeah. notes here. Level up. Level up and go and be on the crew. Don't just do it alone. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really fascinating to to think about the that that motion, though. Uh, the if if I were in that world, I would want to be on the, the serenity. I would want to be on the ghost. I would want to be with that group of people who I trust, the family that you choose, you know, that community that you can really be a part of. Um, I don't think I would want to just be in an X-Wing with my droid. I think it also depends on personality types. One of the reasons I'm a priest and not some other trade, like I wanted to go into academics for a while, is that 
I'm not able to focus on just one thing. I like the variety that comes. I feel like those, those brash, those sort of archetypical pilots are good at, really good at one thing. And that's all they have to focus on is doing their one job. And they do it credibly and they, they push the boundaries of what is possible. But when you place them with other people, they have to develop other skills like people skills and mm -hmm. uh, strategic planning in a way that's different. There's more variables involved. Um, and I, I really see myself in those latter pilots as a leader because I'm not just doing one thing well. I'm doing lots of things sort of well, I hope. <laughs> I, um, I relate to that, that arc. Yeah, excellent. All right. Well, I think that's good. We'll put a button on talking about pilots here. Um, when uh, when you listen to this, uh, at some point, maybe we'll have some comments at some point on these episodes, but uh, love to hear who your favorite pilots are in the fantasy genre, science fiction. Uh, did we miss anybody who's like super important in a fantasy property that, that you love? Um, we had a few more on our list, uh, like pilots on Star Trek, but then we were like, yeah, they're really more like helmsmen. They don't really they don't do a lot of piloting. Uh, um, but uh, we'll be right back uh, to chat about Harry Potter. So Adam, if Star Wars is kind of your, one of your favorite fiction properties, one of the places where you spend the most time in your head, I'll have to say, for me, it's Harry Potter. I grew up pretty much at the exact same age as the characters. It was very cool to be 11 when the first, well, I guess I was probably older than 11 when the first book came out, but largely tracking with the, the ages of the characters. The last book came out when I was graduating from high school and the last movie came out when I was graduating from college. So for me, growing up reading Harry Potter and really living in that story, as I was changing and learning and developing um, my thoughts about the world, is very meaningful to me. So I've spent a lot of time thinking about Harry Potter. And as I've learned more and more about Christianity, learned more about my vocation as a priest, I can't help but put the two together. So I'm really excited that our book club will be following the journey of our friend Harry as he grows and develops and learns how to be a leader. My mother managed an independent bookstore uh, during the height of uh, Harry Potter craze surrounding book four maybe book five. I can't remember if she was still managing the store for book five, but definitely book four. I remember uh, this was before Scholastic uh, put these huge like uh, uh, like locks on the boxes of the Harry Potter oh, books yeah. before they, they, you know, they making bookstores sign over there, yep. you know, do not open and children. Until yeah. Uh, so I actually read Harry Potter four two days before it came out. I, I got it from, I got my copy. I went home, I sat in my beanbag chair and I read it literally straight through mm -hmm. uh, in one sitting. Um, but before that, they weren't huge in the United States. It was book four was the first one that really caught fire in the US. It, it, one, in, one through three were already out. You could read them all in a row. And it wasn't until four came out that there was this huge uh, furor about it, right? Um, and so getting each one uh, and reading them uh, was really a wonderful experience and seeing so many other people reading the same, uh, the same story. And we'll get into the, the, the faith aspects of it, of course, as we go through, but seeing them 
more overt in the later novels mm -hmm. really uh, was heartening to me. I, I, that was seeing like scripture quotations in Harry Potter, not to mention just like the Christology that you can talk about uh, around uh, Harry Potter. Um, but yeah, it was really lovely to, I have that great memory of just being able to read Harry Potter 4 before anybody else. <sighs> I'm, I'm jealous because... <laughs> I think the the way I can track my engagement in the series is how I obtained the book. So, mm. you know, one was read to me by a teacher, which then meant when two came out, oh, you know, I found it. And I think in a bed, bath and beyond, my mom and I were shopping. I was like, oh, second book of this series I've enjoyed. Third book I got actually when I was in England. So I have the British version. And then by the fourth book, that's when the midnight release party started. That's when you know, like you said, the locks would go down the books and up to the point where I was at an independent bookstore working the night of the the seventh when it came out. Oh, that's I was, cool. you know, painting faces in exchange for a free copy of the book, <laughs> uh, which then got spoiled by one of the workers. She opened it up after we we're all done, all the kids had left, and she goes, oh, he lives. And then we were all like devastated. And she's like, didn't you want to know that? Oh my gosh. Wow. You're not salty about that at all. Oh, I'm, it's like 15 years later, I'm still angry at her. <laughs> but I also think, so you were heartened by seeing the scripture and sort of in your development as a Christian, Harry Potter was there with you. For me, I think it's more of a case or had been a case of my development as a nerd. Hmm. I was very much interested in the, the burgeoning online community, the speculations, the theories, the people who had published books around analyzing every line, every word, all these, you know, fan theories. Um, I got really into that world as a 14, 15, 16 year old. Um, the first podcast I listened to back before the renaissance of podcasts, the last couple of years, back in the, you know, mid two thousands, there were, you know, um, what do they call muggle cast, uh, and the other leaky, leaky, leaky cast. The very first podcasts were Harry Potter related. So it very much is a, has a place in my heart as a person of faith, but also as a huge nerd. That's neat. So, so that's really where you cut your nerd teeth. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, I don't think, I think it was the first time I was actively participating in a fandom. And that was before even words like fandoms existed. I don't think they used that terminology or, or shipping. All of that, I think, came from that early Harry Potter community. Oh, you, you actually taught me the word shipping. I didn't know that word until you used it. Starting next episode, we will begin our book club and we'll be reading Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, chapters one through three, The Boy Who Lived, The Vanishing Glass, and The Letters from No One. These are the chapters that set my young imagination on fire and I'm really looking forward to talking about it and hearing what you have to say, Adam. I am too, but we'll have to wait until the next episode. Uh, so thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast for Nerdy Christians. You can find us at nerdychristians.com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash nerdychristians. You can find me on Twitter at Rev Adam Thomas or on my website, wherethewind.com. That's where, W-H-E-R-E, thewind.com. Check out my fantasy novels, The Storm Curtain and The Halfling Contagion on my website or amazon.com. Carrie's not a big fan of social media, but you can find her right here on the next episode of the podcast for Nerdy Christians. May the stars rise up to meet you. May the solar winds be always at your back. May your thermal control system shine warm upon your face. The cosmic debris fall soft upon your shields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of her hand. Amen.
He doesn't actually get to say the word sword. <laughs> no, I rewatched it just as for this one purpose and was like, oh, I forgot about that, man. I'm a leaf on the wind. I like how he like he's saying it and then he's like, oh, I'm not so sure if I'm a leaf on the wind. <laughs> also, I don't understand how a ship as not aerodynamic as the Serenity can still land after falling out of the sky. Um, yeah. I guess it had one engine that was kind of working, so maybe it can kind of keep it up a little bit, uh, but whatever. Space flight in general, as I learned when I was looking up words for the blessing, just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. 